Burn him to the bridge. Black alert. to the Black Alert Podcast, your melanated reference for all things Star Trek across all four quadrants. Today, the bridge crew, Tia, Travis, Grace, Dre, Shaniqua. What's going on, guys? What's up? Hey. I have thoughts. What's going on? We have thoughts. thoughts. (laughs) Yeah, we have a lot of thoughts on this one. The timeline was hot. We'll be discussing the season finale of Star Trek Discovery. That Hope Is You, Part 2. Directed by Olatunde Osunsanmi, written by Michelle Paradise. Let's dive in. Let's let's see what you have to say, Grace. What's going on? Radiation poisoning, time is running out. Radiation poisoning, time is running out. Like, ship is clearly falling apart. And who shows up but Adira with the pills that she stole from Booker. last episode look at adira look at how beautiful they are as a zahian makeup was they wore that makeup well that was a good makeup job right there i think blue looks great as a zahian (laughs) you know my question about the zahian though is i may have mentioned this before in another podcast this is another planet filled with dilithium and they just happen to make them zahian which is another planet filled with dilithium that resonated with a person who was born there. So I'm just saying, I feel like that there's there's um there's there was a reason there. I wonder what that was. I mean, I I felt like the the hollow whoever like I guess Dr. Etho would be the programmed it. There isn't really any rhyme or reason to the races selected. Because it made Saru human, but mm-hmm. Michael, who was already human, became Trill. And then Hugh, who is also human, became Bajoran. So it's not like humans aren't available as a choice. It's not like they couldn't have stayed the same. But the Hollow was just like, you know what? Let's make it a little spicy. You sprinkle yeah. a little bit. <laughs> a little bit of everybody. It's kind of cool, though, because Michael went into the Trill bath in the temple mm-hmm. uh, in, in episode three or four i believe and so that was a really cool a really cool playback to that i i, I think a, a trill michael would be pretty awesome now we also see someone else this episode who, we do uh, it's finally visible like we see we someone see else you. Mm-hmm. but like, it's not just we as the audience I mean, seeing gray they see Everyone. Mm-hmm. Great. Gray that- was fantastic. Honestly, I'm trying to figure out. So, I for Hugh and Saru to be able to see Gray, I assume that there must have been a serious advancement in holographic technology, uh, where yes, where somehow uh, I don't know if maybe there's a telepathic aspect to it where you can project people from your thoughts or maybe there's a special trill weirdness with the holograms now 
I don't know if it's something so much as the the technology everywhere has evolved. I think it might mm-hmm. be something specific to the hollow that Dr. Issa built. Mm. Yeah, it was like this subspace resonance. I think they mentioned like with all the uh, the dilithium. I'm going to say dilithium a lot this episode. Uh, <laughs> with all the dilithium on that planet, like the subspace resonance with wh- whatever it is that makes gray still appear to Adira ma- made it register to the computer as another entity. And ju- they just applied whatever they applied to the computer applied to the the other folks to this entity, which happened to be Gray, who yeah. looked amazing as a Vulcan. Also I'm, amazing. I'm, I, oh, oh my God, that outfit, the blue hair. I mean, I, Gray was I, an amazing Vulcan. I think, like, I know that actual other Vulcans, Navarre, however, addressing them individually, I don't think they would ever do hair dye. I said this on Twitter, like, I don't think Vulcans would do hair dye because to them, you know, hair dye, vanity, that's not logical kind of thing. But please, Vulcans, can we get Vulcans with different hair colors? More Vulcans with blue hair, white hair, gray hair, like Vulcans with style, please. Vulcans gray with those coats. Absolutely <laughs> as a Vulcan. This coat, this coat, the way the coat moves, the strut, the walk. Sashay. Well, we did see. away, work the runway, please. We do see different, if you ever watch the series Enterprise, we do get Vulcans with different color hair, but they still had that same bowl cut deal that was going on. And I'm like, come on, let, let's not. So it is refreshing to see that in the 32nd century with the Navarre and all that, we have Vulcans who are bald. We have Vulcans who have different hairstyles. Same with the Romulans too. They had different hairstyles. They rolled up. Or I, they rolled up to disco with their different hairstyles to listen to Michael, and I was like, "Thank you so much." So it, it was it was good to see that too. Yeah. But yes, Gray absolutely killed it as a, a Vulcan hologram. It was great. I mm. loved it. Okay. And so, yeah, oh, in in that part of the of the episode, we get an answer to a theory that Grace put forth in the previous episode. Well, we get we we get confirmation, explicit confirmation that Kukal himself is the cause of the burn. And not even just that Sukal is the cause of the burn, but that the moment of the burn occurred at the moment that Sukal's mother, Dr. Issa, passed away. And it was that explosion of grief that caused the burn to ripple through subspace because of Sukal's unique uh, physiology with the dilithium. So everywhere he resonated with dilithium and that's what caused the burn. Dun, dun, dun. We figured it out. Yep. And here was the crazy part. Like, you see during the kind of the, the, the run back of his memory in the, the hollow program before it shuts down, you you see it and it ties very neatly into when Michael was saying the burn didn't happen all at once. There was these little intervals, several like milliseconds apart that just brought it home right there. It's like when they describe grief as like waves of grief. And that's li- literally yeah. what the, 
Yeah. Yep, with the galaxy felt. I think uh I think Col Dr. Colber referred him to as a, a polyploid. Uh which that was like a weird term. No. But yeah. I had to Google that one. It. I was like <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with it. I used to be a biology um, major and I was like, Oh, that's why I'm not long I didn't get a degree in it. I'm like what <laughs> What um, is a polyploid, by the way? Yeah. Let me Google. Is a condition in which the cells of an organism have more than two paired sets of chromosomes. Okay. What? <laughs> so, so the some of his chromosomes are dilithiumy and some of them are not. And that is why he is the way he is. Because okay. of exposure to the radiation on the dilithium planet in utero while his cells and chromosomes were still dividing. So the Omega child of dilithium. wonder yeah. if that explains why yeah. he's still like physically young as well like he hasn't that's why he's 125 years old you fancy that that could be it but also in that aspect we don't know that much about how kelpians age because before we left the past kelpians only lived as long as they were going to like up to a certain time and then when they hit baharai they were cold Mm -hmm. so as it stands like canon wise i don't know that we know the lifespan of a kelpian in the episode previously uh saru looks at the elder hollow that's supposed to teach him about kelpian history and they mentioned that this is the oldest kelpian that saru has ever seen like we have no idea how long Mm -hmm. kelpian could possibly live so i mean as far as we know he just looks the way he looks i mean yes he's mentally immature because Mm -hmm. of his situation but maybe he just looks the way he looks because that's how Kelpians look up to a certain point. Maybe how crazy would that be for Saru to just realize, oh yeah, I'm gonna live to be like 300. Right? <laughs> he <laughs> had this look on his face like this is my future for real. You know like wow. for all we know, like Sarana could still be alive if yeah Kelpians live a super super long time. Like I don't yeah. know. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's gone back to Kaminar, as we find out, with Saru. So, you know, be free, essentially. Hopefully, you know, he can keep his emotions under control, because when he went, he went super soft, you know, he was... can't last. The Dragon Ball Z type thing. (laughs) He got upset at one point, and I was, and he started yelling, and I was like, dude, you can't, you can't do that. You need... You need inside voice to, to the bar and let him learn from the Vulcans, right? <laughs> like, I hope Saru has a hypo spray filled with like Xanax. <laughs> he flips out. <laughs> well, and I think it's really sweet that um, in the in the message that we get, the very very loving motherly message that we get from Doctor mm-hmm. Tisa that she mentions, you know, if he cries and then corrects herself, so like, no, when he cries, just do this. Only a parent really knows. I just thought that was super, super sweet. And Saru's I mean, I, becoming I, I, a bit of a parent now. Saru is another space dad at this He's point. He's a space dad. <laughs> Show's getting busy. full of them. Yeah. Alright, we got but, the Emerald Chain attacking Federation headquarters. This is uh, this is the battle here. First of all, that, that looked like a scene right out of Star Trek Online. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the way the Discovery was kind of like circling 
firing its 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 phasers. I was like, this is right from STO. Yeah. <laughs> it was it, it was gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. The, the special effects guys were doing a great job, but it just it, it looked like it. And and as somebody who plays way too much, it it really stood out for me. We got a Voyager shout out. I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody heard that. Voyager yeah. J. Like, with the oh, with the yeah, emergency yeah. command hologram of Catherine Janeway, we decided <laughs> yep. that last week. That's I really <laughs> wanted to see a shot of the bridge. It's like Janeway hologram just sitting there. I can't. And we've oh. got a uh, Syrah and the chain, you know, attempting to escape with Discovery. Zara, crazy man. Uh, Aurelio and Osira with the truth serum, using it on Booker. That was that was a. That was a deep moment. That was a scary moment, actually. Yes, it you was. know what, Osira, I was about ready to come through that screen because when she yeah. slapped my girl Michael, I was girl. like, "What are you doing, girl?" Mm-mm. No, because that was that was disrespectful as hell. The Klingons didn't even try to slap her, Please. and she rolled up in their house to kill them. But see, that's what I liked about it because it turned it immediately transferred like the the rivalry between Tilly and Osira to uh, Michael and Osira. It's like, oh yeah, Tilly, uh, she didn't do anything to Tilly like this. <laughs> Michael is now her arch enemy. <laughs> Dude, I was sitting here watching it. If I had been wearing earrings, I'd be like, take off earrings, tie my hair back. We are ready to go. You cannot. Do not. Fight mode activated. Plus, Plus, you hit all of us. Yes. I am ready to go to town. I was so mad. <laughs> do you guys think that she slapped Michael, because she saw her more of a, as a threat or an equal. That's what she said, right? She's when she's like, you know, I, I'm starting to like you. Like you, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, <sighs> I don't know. I think it's um. I think it shows maybe uh, uh, Osira cracking. I, I think I, I would say because up until this point, she's been very cool, very collected. I said last episode she was a Virgo with a plan. And at this point, her best laid plans are not. So things are falling apart. And when stuff falls apart, you get reckless. I'm slapping hoes. Let's deal with I it. Mean, and she was about to use like biological warfare. <laughs> yes, she was going yeah, to use she was, she was about to use biological warfare against the Federation and the Navarans. And I was just like, wow, okay, wow. Well, that was the <laughs> thing. The whole time, from the time she left Federation headquarters, she was on her back foot. She was desperate. Yeah. She didn't have any real way out. It was her and the, it was the Discovery and Viridian against the entire Federation fleet, the Federation Starbase, and what we later found out was the Navarre fleet. I mean, she was always, always um, at a disadvantage. And yeah, I mean, I think Grace is, is spot on. She was like, I, I'm desperate now. And she she was cracking. But you know, it's kind. Of, but you think about it. You think about how, just how important Michael is to the Navarans that they showed up when she called. Right. Yes. Yeah. Unless think, that was Mama Burnham. Yeah. Because she called Mom. She went back through space and time. We don't even know how many times just to save Michael. Yep. Just to make yeah. sure Michael's okay. She watched Michael grow up from a distance. She like. Mom is gonna protect her child, so I am not at all surprised that the Navarre came after Michael called mom. I don't think she even asked asked for anybody for help. She just immediately marched to, marched to a ship, and they're like, "Where's she going?" 
okay we down we down mm-hmm. because you know they mentioned in uh unification unification three that you know her her tie to Spock is also part of the reason why they trust Michael more than most mm-hmm. yes. and so between Mama Burnham and Michael's status as Spock's sister uh I think I think that's what got them there well, I mean, Osiris was about to infect them all. So, you know. Yeah. The, the last thing Michael wants is to come this far and to do all what she's done with the Navarre and then have, you know, the entire fleet, who knows what was, uh, who important people was on those ships, have the entire fleet infected with some insidious pathogen. That would just tarnish all the goodwill that she built with the Navars. You know, Michael's thinking on her feet because I know I wouldn't have come up with a plan that fast. <laughs> No, nope. exactly. But exactly. Osiris too, though, right? Osiris realized, okay, well, Michael is a problem here, and so are the folks in the lower decks if they manage to uh-huh. get to her. So you know what? We'll suffocate them all. Yeah, the extra suffering, which shows her anger and shows really how petty she is. Very. It was kind of some standard like mustache twirling villain business, like Bond villain mm-hmm. stuff. Like why why did why go through the the long thing? Why Doctor Evil the situation? Yeah, you but know? it but it gives Owo like it makes Owo the hero of this moment it because is. she is the only one equipped to save them. Yeah, with your, she with was like, background. oh, I've been holding my breath for 10 minutes. I don't need the oxygen right yeah, now. I'm good. Oxygen. I've been doing Black this since me. I was a kid. I've been doing this since I was a kid. So y'all use all the oxygen you need. I'm holding it in 10 breaths, at, 10 minutes at a time. Right. That, I think that, aside from the fact that Black women run around saving the day, not, not just in real life, but in 32nd century on Star Trek, mm-hmm. thank you, Black women. But, oh, whoa. Being there and says, like, I'm ready. I'm prepared. Like, shout out to Nigeria again. This is the most Nigerian space show that we have. Nigerians in space. Let's just call it that. More Nigerians in space. Please. But Owo shouting out the, the caves and saying, I've been doing this, you know, for most of my life. I'm like, I'm prepared. Like, I don't need your little, little oxygen bottle. I'm good. Like, give me a little sippy sip, and then I'm good. You guys can share that amongst yourselves. Owo having that. And then being the hero in that moment, but also shout out to the Dot 23, who are apparently my new favorite robots now. They are like, the best. It was just I such a them. moment for her to show such strength there. And I love that it happened for Oo as a character. I love that it happened for Black women on Star Trek. I, I love that it happened for Nigerians in space. I, I love it all. Also, I'm going to apologize. Both my sisters are Virgos. I love you both. <laughs> you know, you you brought up the, the dots. Is this the first time in Star Trek that we've had a cute sidekick? A sidekick um, robot? Yeah. Um, I think this is our first cute sidekick yeah, if you don't want to count with I almost threw out a of. Doctor Who reference for a second and I'm like, oh shit, wrong IP. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you if you go if you go back into TNG, we have the Exocomps. And the little thing that they did to save the Enterprise, I can't recall the episode, but it was three of them and 
it was something going on with the ship and they all communicate together and the one goes in and sacrifices sacrifice itself. Mm-hmm. And they like, oh, they're sentient beings. And then we see them again. We see Peanut Hamper in Lower Decks. So, <laughs> but then we learn um, they're jerks. Yeah, they're jerks. But, uh, <laughs> well, Peanut Hamper was a jerk. But yeah. we we do see uh, the Dot 23s as a play on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're so cute. And I love it. They are cute. And I just love how... You know, the dot 23, because Owo was like, you can't be here. Like, this is getting ready to kill you. We don't see the dot 23 save Owo, but we see it afterwards. And she's like, oh, you saved my life. And the thing, it, it's like, oh, it was an honor. Yes. And then it, and then it died. And I was like, oh, <laughs> dot 23. <laughs> it's interesting. The dot 23 gets more sort of respect as a sentient being than the doctor from Voyager at the <laughs> Well, I mean, you're not wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> like the dot 23s, and we say that, but we're really, we're really conflating them. Like the dot 23 in this episode isn't just dot 23. It's the sphere data. It's a precursor to Zora. If y'all have yeah. not watched the Calypso short trek, please Don't do that watch. right now, because otherwise what we're saying is not going to make sense to you. But Zora um, in the future is very sentient and might as well be a whole person just with no body, just like an, an electronic artificial intelligence that we see cares deeply for the Discovery crew. Like at this point, with a physical embodiment in the Dot 23 robot, like th- that's another crew member right there. Like the yeah. ship is literally a part of the crew now. Yep. Yeah, uh, Shaniqua, you were you were saying something? I thought it was interesting that the bot said that I carried you. And I know that may seem kind of insignificant, but to me that was just, I don't know, it kind of reminded me that sometimes we can't always do things alone mm-hmm. and that we'll need support in, in one way or another. And sometimes we get support in places that we didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I just thought that was an interesting point. Yep. How powerful yep. are the dot twenty threes though? They're so tiny and carried oh well that far. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna be sacrilegious for a second and say that I wish they would redo um original Star Trek and do some CGI dot sevens in the background. So because they fit so well with Star Trek. They and do. it's like it's something that I feel like the the other shows would have done had it been technically possible. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see, you know, Scotty with like a with a, a couple of dot sevens or, or or something like that. Like, give me a short track of, of, about why Scotty doesn't like dot sevens or something. Just because <laughs> I feel like they they fit so perfectly in Star Trek, and it, it's it's about time we have them. That's very true. I'd love to see them in every Star Trek series going forward, including Picard, find a way to get them on, you know, whatever ship, they, whatever ship they're on. Let's get some dot 23s, some dot sevens, some dot tens, whatever iteration they are at, at that point. Cause they're all some awesome little robots. Additionally, yes, I want to point out that uh, the dot 23s that finally made, you know, their, their epic important appearance goes back to what I was saying on a previous episode. The opening credits are a clue. 
if y'all aren't watching the opening credits closely, you need to watch the opening credits more closely. The Dot 23 was featured as a new addition to the Star Trek Discovery opening credits this season. You see the Dot 23s and then you see their importance later on. And that's not the first time they've done this with the opening credits. So I am just looking very much forward to deconstructing the season four credits when season four rolls around because stuff that you see in the credits doesn't necessarily appear in the first episode and it changes and their significance as to what's happening on Discovery in the show, it's, it's an indicator. Even the episodes that we have and we go to the Mirror Universe, we get Mirror credits. We get uh, reverse yes. credits that shows that we're in the Mirror Universe. Everything is inverted in colors. Everything is backwards or upside down. The credits are a big indicator as to what's going to happen on a show. Watch closely. It's not just the background. It's the credits. Small things. And I know, <laughs> I know some people skip credits. Don't skip the credits. Just watch them at least once. Why would you want to skip the credits? The music is fantastic. I get tired of the same thing. I skip them. I, I'm, I'm cle- I am a Netflix blasphemy. Blasphemy. intro. I'm that person. <laughs> blasphemy. Sorry, sorry. What do we think about the the whole thing with the turbo lift and the the fight scene Ooh. that happened in the turbo lift? Like that whole action sequence for me. Yeah, that was epic. It's diehard in space. Yeah. It's, it's diehard yeah. in space. That's what I think. It's, it's diehard in space. Burnham McLean, yeah. McLean Burnham, diehard. Yep. This time we had a uh, book. Book, however, you know that's my man, and uh, he 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 showed himself well in this episode in, in that fight scene in in the in the turbo lift. My question though is, how big is that? I know the inside. How big is the turbo lift shaft? It's like, it's like the whole shit. Huge. Yeah, that was and, huge. I was like, are they really this big? I recall it being just, it's a you know, uh, slightly bigger than Jeffrey's <laughs> tooth. <laughs> well, it's a whole nother world. It's much bigger that on the inside. <laughs> yes, yes, Shaniqua, it is a TARDIS, okay? Because <laughs> there's no, I, I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, so clearly the discovery must be the size of a small city because I don't know where this is coming from. <laughs> I have... <laughs> In regards to the the, <laughs> the shaft itself and all the stuff that was going on in there, it might explain some things that I've personally noticed about Discovery. I mean, I, I've mentioned it. I was like, why do Tilly and Michael share quarters? Is Discovery not big enough for everybody to have their own quarters? Why does Reese <laughs> need to win? Like, wh- where is the space? It's a, sh- a whole ship. You have a whole ship. What do you mean you don't have quarters? The fact that this takes so much space and Discovery's unique spore drive technology may change how the ship is built from what yeah. we're used to. Yeah. Yeah. One more thing I noticed um, is that the the whole thing with the turbo lifts and all the space inside the turbo lifts, I giggled a little bit because to me that was this little meta Galaxy Quest reference. I, I, I assume that <laughs> at least some of you guys have seen Galaxy mm-hmm. Quest. Yes. And when they run at the and the in the third act of Galaxy Quest, and he has to go through the chompers to get to the court, and I'm like, and was like, why is this here? This shouldn't be here because it's on the show. Then it's in the ship. This ridiculous thing is on the ship because it's in the show, and you have to get through it. It's just there, just because, because that's the how sci-fi ships are. So I thought that was really funny and interesting. Like, and I, I'm good with it because even having that in Galaxy Quest, like. We understand that people have to go through ridiculous things on the ship. There's always some 
Jeffrey's tube, some core, some place that you have to get through, and there are all these ridiculous obstacles on the ship that you have to go through to get to it. It's a funny little meta reference, and I, I don't know if that was the intention, but I found it. And we've got uh, Booker having you know, a nice little fight, and we lose. Somebody uh, falls off or gets kicked off. Oh no. Bye, Zara. Uh, oh, Bye. 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 Zara, try oh, from behind. Oh, no. You shouldn't have talked trash on Grudge. Oh, you no. shouldn't you know have talked trash on Grudge. You know, I really like she's it a the... queen. She's a queen. Like if that's it. not a t shirt soon, it has to be. <laughs> we have a cat daddy on the show, a guy, uh, you know, who's masculine, but at the same time, loves his cat. And his cat is his queen. And I think that's a really good. You know, I think that's a really good example for the think, watchers of the show. I think the cat is actually a queen. I'm sorry. I don't think it's really a cat. I don't think Grady's really a cat. I, I, I'm, I'm 100% a, a serious person? about this. I think that line coming up multiple times in the show, is I think she is literally going to be a queen. Maybe that's I mean, something that be explored in season four. Because I, I thought that would come out season three, but... Okay, maybe season four, we'll see. Because he has that connection with things. So it's like, there's really no telling what the cat could be. Yeah. She could be a cat and a queen. And well, he's, yeah. he's just able to to talk to cats. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Well, because That's I thought true. about how much focus Grudge has gotten throughout the season. Like, everyone notices Grudge. And anyone insults Grudge, Grudge is like, you know, Book tells Michael, I keep telling you, she's a queen. And I'm like, I think this is a literal, a literal reference. <laughs> but speaking of of book, uh, so we have the torture scene in the sick bay, and you know we talked about this. I believe Dre and Travis brought it up uh, last episode review we did about how we always see book in these sort of precarious situations all season. Once again, I'm like, are y'all really gonna kill this man in front of his lady? Are uh, okay? Can you not? I was, I was close to a heart attack this entire episode, but that was one of the scenes where it really was getting to me. I'm like, they might kill this character who's been here the whole season and has had a very important role this entire season, and is a key. So, you know, the where we see Book start at the beginning of the season and then where we see him end in this final episode is so important. But they had him in peril and I I almost I almost passed out, honestly, because it was just a lot to see him going through that. And then you see Michael watching him and she's like, I, I have to do something. I don't know what. And so you kind of see her mind running and trying to come up with the plan. How do I save my man? How do I save my man? Because this this is not going to work for me seeing him perish like this, especially with him being in so much pain. Yeah, but I mean, Michael does the same thing again. Yeah, she's like, okay, well, you know, he's just going to have to endure while I do this. And she goes up to him and she says, you know what? I'm sorry, but it's going to get worse. And, you know, she stabs him in the chest with a bit of adrenaline to get him going, which you know, if you read any de- descriptions about what adrenaline does to your body after it wears off, you know, that in addition to the torture, you know, she was, Michael was excellent. And uh, regarding Book at the end of the, sh- at the, end of the uh, episode, 
I have some comments about the end result for him. And I'll wait till we get closer to that section before I mention it. I want to go back a little bit before we get too far away from it. I want to talk about the bridge crew and Mm -hmm. seeing them work together. Like this is an opportunity that we don't get a lot of to see the bridge crew interact with each other to, to see how they play off each other as they're, you know, trying to get towards the bridge. They're trying to, uh, reestablish life support. Just seeing them work together was very big for me. I think finally that we're trying, starting to get to know the bridge crew. They even have, I, I think I have a gif of this somewhere. I don't know if I posted already. They even have an Avenger style hero shot where they're all in the hallway. You can see them all with the guns, like a Charlie's Angels. Like everybody is there. You can see them together. And I think that's, that's really important because myself, you guys, a lot of people have said, we don't know much about the bridge crew. We don't see them do anything together. On other shows, the bridge crew, they hang out. Like, we saw them party a little bit in season one, but, you know, on the next generation, people went to Worf's Tai Chi class. We play poker in Riker's quarters. Like, we, on DS9, they hang out in Vic's casino bar lounge. Like, I want to see more of the crew together, not necessarily mm-hmm. on duty, but just together, just being, bouncing off each other. I, I thought that was a very good thing that we're establishing more of the bridge crew camaraderie. But not, I, but not for everyone, though, right? If you, if you think back uh, to that area, Bryce, I don't think has any speaking lines in, nope. in the finale. I think the mean. new person we don't recognize is <laughs> has more lines than Bryce. I, I think, as Travis says, Bryce was just there with his fate. new new person that we don't recognize is uh lieutenant Ina uh there's some debate as to what lieutenant Ina's position is they're Mm -hmm. mentioned by name only once by Michael um my theory is that they are the new head of security since non left some people say that they are um actually on spore ops much like uh Nilsson wherever Nilsson was this episode but M.I.A. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, she know. was at the very end. Yeah, she was at the end. But... Yeah, but before that, when was the really? last time? We yeah, saw I her? don't know where she was. <laughs> like, I don't think gone. we saw her. Maybe episode ten. Like, yeah. But I, oh, I, yeah, I think the theory of her being the new head of security fits best because if there's one thing you're gonna have, you're gonna have a captain, a first officer, a helmsman. And a head of security. You're gonna have those four on the bridge at the very at the very minimum. I mean, we could really, you know, just kind of roll with that theory. At least that's what I'm gonna roll with. I was just saying Bryce is the communications officer. Yes, I he mean, is. He's he's the Uhura of the bridge. He needs to communicate from time to time. <laughs> he needs to <laughs> Yeah. Um, just I saying. had no lines and it, it felt jar like I was watching it and that I saw, I picked up on immediately. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm seeing Rice is speaking, Owo, Detmer, Tilly, new person, Lieutenant Ina, who at the time, honestly, I did not know her name. So that's what I was, when I was watching the episode, it was like new person. And Bryce doesn't find that name. And so I was wondering, you know, and if let's say the theory of Ina being the head of security is, is true. Why go and try to establish a new character? 
why couldn't like if possible i don't know if the actress who plays non is available or not but if she was wouldn't it be worth it to bring her back in the role because the audience is familiar with non i was i was talking with some people on, on twitter about this and apparently the actress that plays Ina is already on payroll and has played aliens on uh the, the show before so it's not like they literally went out and hired somebody brought them in just for this like that person mm-hmm was already there and again as far as I'm hearing I think it is scheduling conflicts with the actress that plays Nilsen so she just wasn't available for those episodes maybe they would just thought that we would notice but we be noticing things we really do we really do stranger I don't know you. <laughs> Why did you want my Twitter break? Harpo, who this woman? Harpo, <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. Especially when Oval said, you know, I love you all. I'm like, oh, who? who? You love this person that we just met? <laughs> you love the random that's Same. just kind of here? Really? I honestly thought she was going to get red shirt. I was like, okay, so this is the scene's red shirt. Yes. She's probably not going to make it. <laughs> Somebody had to. I thought Owo was going to perish. I was like, oh, I was scared. I thought she was going to. Oh, my but God. I, I thought about you, Dre, with the look with Detmer and, and, and Owo. Look, oh, look. listen. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Let's talk about it. They keep teasing us that. Why do look, you keep I'm, teasing us with this look? Like, what is it going to lead to? Yes. So here's my thing. And I've seen people on Twitter saying, oh, well, it's cool. Um... I kind of wish they should be friends, though. I'm like, so you're not really cool with it, right? And my problem is this, which I'm not saying that, you know, you got to put these two together romantically necessarily, but um, it's just another problem with the fandom telling LGBT plus women, be quiet. You don't need to have this. And I'm like, yeah, actually we do. Who doesn't want, how many times have we said representation matters, mm-hmm. right? So we already have uh, with uh, Paul and Hugh, we have Adira who's non-binary, kudos for that. We have the trans character. We have, we're having the black characters. We're seeing the Asian characters and, and everything like that. So why can't we have even more diversity, even more representation? And I get it. Friendship is very important, including between, you know, women, men, all that stuff. But we've gotten plenty of friendships, quality friendship relationships in Star Trek. There's Julian and Miles, Kirk and Spock, Data and Jordy. So... Yeah, Bashir and <laughs> yeah. Harris. We have Kira and and Jadzia. So yeah, Kira and Jadzia. We have, you know, Crusher and Troy. So we have all these great friendships between men, women, uh, and and just that's that's been on display throughout all of Star Trek. But what we haven't seen yet is a lesbian relationship or or two women you know who you know love each other care about each other in a romantic way and as always i'm sorry go ahead yeah and as a as a gay woman um i do want to see that i want to see a black gay woman who's not just simply a side character because Mm -hmm. in this episode we see we saw 
how important Owo was in, in her role. And it would just be really, really nice to see that. And we've been getting the looks between these two, and we've been seeing this this chemistry and their interactions with each other pretty much from, I want to say, early in season two all the way till now. And it's it's hard to ignore it. I'm not sure if the actors were like, we don't want our characters to just be on screen and if maybe they're just kind of doing this you know friendship type deal with each other but you don't have to look hard to to see the relationship between these two and it just really leaves you you know wondering because I'm sorry if my life was in danger and I come out of it and the first person that I see uh, it's like oh you're alive so are you. And then we hug each other and we're the first ones that we acknowledge. It just might be something there. That, that's all I'm saying. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm, Dre, I'm sorry. That's, that's part of the reason. I mean, I've been on Twitter shipping uh, Nilsson and Bryce and, and the reason I've done it, it's, there's two reasons. One is because I watched one of the um, shows that they did uh, with Will Wheaton where the whole cast was kind of was uh, interacting and uh, the guy who plays Bryce said something. And the woman who plays Nielsen had this reaction that was kind of like a, I don't know. It just, it just kind of like sparked the imagination. And what you were, what you were talking about, Dre, to me, you know, I'd like to see really a relationship that looks like my family and You know, and and I'm you know I'm happy at all of the representation we see on the show, and I would like to just see more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have just I, I you may not like me for this one, but I don't want Owo and Detmer to get together either. And before you kill me, let me tell you why. I am really, really enjoying the will they, won't they, are they, aren't they aspect of this. I like the look. <laughs> I like that. I, I love it. And every time I catch it, it, it makes me giddy. I absolutely adore it. And I want to keep that mystery. And the reason why is that I am literally afraid. Discovery is doing so well with representation, so well. I feel like if they throw another ball into the air with Owo and Detmer, that they may crash the ground and that the relationship between them might get the shorter end of the stick because now we have to show those two and Culber and Stamets and Adira and Gray and everybody else. And I don't think they will get the kind of representation they deserve in that relationship. I would rather leave it to the fans. AO3 people, this is your cue. That's give it. me all the Owo Detmer slash fic. Give me Mirror Owo and every damn body slash fic. I think it would be great. I think that the fandom will take that relationship to places that the writers never could. And that is what I want to read. Now, again, please don't kill me. That's not to say I don't want to see lesbians on Discovery. I really do. But the lesbians I want to see on Discovery, I want to know more about reno's wife i want a short trek showing me about reno and her relationship before she got on discovery i want to learn more about the crew that we already have i want to see that 
show me those lesbians, please. I think, you, you know, I think that's one of the main um, criticisms I have is I want to see more of the life of the crew. Um, I, of course, I do enjoy Michael being the focus of the show, but I want to learn more about these background characters so we can love them just as much as we love Michael. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say, I would say that I do think Star Trek should make a concerted effort uh, to give the audience a a lesbian or bisexual character, right? Because if you think about the women we've seen in relationships of that type, they're always one-offs, right? It's Jadzia in uh, Rejoined with her partner that used to be her husband when she was... <laughs> Or no, you yeah, used to be her husband. Yeah. Uh, we have the you know intendant Kira. We have Giorgio, but they're all sort of wrapped in these these you know either problematic women or just one-offs, and then we just forget about it. And they're you know we we have the determination that they're just clearly straight. And so I think Star Trek should take the time to do that and I think it is powerful to use someone of color uh, because we we ought we have enough I would say enough white representation when it comes to LGBT people and we very rarely have it for for black black actors and black characters you know outside of the the shows like Noah's Ark you know and others and so I think that that is an area where we can we can have some improvement in Star Trek yeah, and I I will say, Grace, I'm not upset with you about that because you you actually gave a valid reason as to why um, you feel the way you do. Uh, it's just that a lot of what I saw was it was just simply writing off, oh well, you know, they're fine as friends, but and and I didn't I didn't consider that. So you brought up a very valid point that you know, I'm like, oh, she, just, as soon as you said your reason why, I was like, that is very valid because how often do we see the few characters of color or uh, LGBT women kind of get pushed to the side? Now, I will say going into a different series with Picard, we kind of see uh, with Rafi that and we Seven. might be getting Rafi and Seven, maybe, so hopefully that's there. But yes, I agree with what you said, Tia. It would be very wonderful to have an actual LGBT woman um, on screen, a main character, and not just, you know, kind of in the background, secondary character. She appears for a few episodes and then that's it. We don't see her. We don't see her anymore. I mean, if Discovery has pushed the bar for representation, or raised the bar for representation, why stop now? Right. Let's just keep going. That way, I mean, as we've discussed, okay, this takes place in the future. We want to see the future that we actually, that we want to be a part of. And so I think I'm I'm with you, um, Dre and Tia, that I think that this would be a good opportunity for Star Trek. And and hopefully, you know, one of the writers is listening and taking some notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess we should probably get back <laughs> into yeah. some of the, the uh, finale 
Thanks. Yeah, I'm 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 I, thinking I about, about I'm thinking about <laughs> Mr. Stamets. Oh, oh boy. All Let's right, talk. Say so Ray, I know you got words. I know listen, you got it. <laughs> this guy, so we he first appears in the episode at Starfleet headquarters and he he runs into the middle of I guess their bridge, their their con area. Uh where he comes to Dadmiral and says, we have to go back. We have to go back to the planet. Please, please. Now, these people are in the middle of fighting uh, the Emerald Chain. And the people who are left on Discovery's lives are hanging in the balance at this point. You know, that's where we open with Stamets. Any any sort of thoughts about, you know, his character and where we're going in the in the rest of the episode with him? Uh, mostly the audacity. Uh, who, man, you know, the caucasity to start with. The caucasity. <laughs> you woke up when the man, when Dadmiral Vance is over here in the middle of fighting the Emerald Chain to tell him what you think he should do. You, sir, you, sir, are not running the show here. Who do you think you are rolling up telling the Admiral what to do? I, I will tell you something about Mr. Can you tell? I have thoughts about this. I will tell you something about Mr. Stamets. Mr. Stamets was conscripted into Starfleet for the war. He was an astromycologist. He was a private citizen. Starfleet said, this technology for the spore drive, we want it. Now you're in Starfleet. He never went to the academy. Mm-hmm. He never did all that schooling that everybody else did. Those Starfleet values that they drill into you. Who do you think you are sashaying up onto the ops of the bridge or whatever we're going to call it, telling Vance what he needs to do? Like, I understand. I understand that that is your family, but also this is not your place. Do not be that entitled white gay. Do not be that Stamets, because I like Stamets. Anthony Rapp, I like you. You are acting the shit out of this. But no, Stamets, don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, I I need to take a breath. Somebody else go. I think it was mostly. I think it was also something that drove a little bit further and made Vance realize when he sees Stamets roll up and the fact that he's not on the ship, he knew. Okay, Michael had something to do with this. I'm sure. I know she did, and it was the right decision. So y'all take him and put him far, far away from here. I forgot where Vance told him to send send Stamets, but he agreed right then and there. He was like, no, we need to get you a far, far away from here as possible. So it just further showcased Michael doing what needed to be necessary. Yep. But yeah, he was very entitled. He rolled up. I was like, you just came uncorrect, sir. It's not as if he hasn't been in a war and he understands the stakes of the moment. He truly does. But to sort of center himself in that, when so many lives hang in the balance, it, it I'm not going to lie, it feels like the guy was introduced to the show as kind of an asshole. Stamets was, right? He was, he was yes. very arrogant. Uh, but he understood what was going on. So this one felt a little out of place for me. I mean, it, it fits well with his behavior in episode 12, don't get me wrong. But his his complete 
sort of, you know, screw all the lies that are out there trying to protect discovery and protect the, the rest of the galaxy, essentially from the Emerald Chain, it, it felt it felt a little weird for me. Yeah, and I'm wondering how much of it is is him still dealing with his own issues from losing Hugh and then having him come back. While it is out of character for what we've seen from him, it's just also like, well, he's dealing with his own issues with getting his husband back, which I understand. I understand completely, but it's it's kind of being showcased as him centering himself around everything and trying to get everyone around him to do that too, which is unfair to everyone else in my opinion. Go ahead, Ray. I know you got um, Oh yeah, I have words for statements. <laughs> um, it seems very much that he was projecting a lot, um, which, you know, happens way too much <laughs> in real life. <laughs> But definitely the the part that got me that made me roll my eyes and almost throw the remote at the TV was um, when, you know, Adira, you know, Hugh and 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 Paul reunite and they're in the uh, in the sick bay and, you know, Michael's doing her rounds and, you know, it's the lovely ending that we we've been looking for. And they look at each other and he looks at her and kind of like, yeah, whatever, and gives her the stank eye. And I was like, oh, so we have beef. Is is that mm. is that what was happening now? Like, because she made a decision that you didn't like, which saved all of us, <laughs> okay, including the ones that you loved. Just dismiss her and you give her this this, you know, eye roll. And you could tell that it hurt her. You know, she made this like, oh, really? And it was like emotional. And I I, I felt that. I felt that deeply. Shaniqua? Um, my thing is, it's like Stamets forgot that Culber made that decision on his own. Nobody forced Culber to go and, you know, figure out what was going on with the burn. It's like, I just, I don't know, like you said earlier, the audacity that he had and and I, I like I want to be sympathetic to his character. He had already lost Culper before. Didn't want to go through that again. And that's something that he even said is like, you know, I lost you once. I don't want to lose you again. But it's like no one forced anybody to make that decision. And at the end of the day, she made the right decision. And even the admiral told him, Michael Burnham made the right decision. She she did what she was supposed to do. So I just I don't know. I'm I've been honestly. I've been kind of frustrated, even though I love Anthony Rep, like you guys have said. I've been kind of frustrated with his character arc a little bit because to me, his change wasn't gradual. He just kind of like went from the asshole to being decent. And then we see him having this loving relationship with Adira, but at the same time, you lose that entire quality when you're dealing with Michael. I just I'm I'm frustrated with him a little bit with his character. I would like I I understand that characters are complex and they're not always going to be the same, but I do I would like for them to choose what mode he's going to be on and and stick with it. Um I mean I I agree. I I don't know if I agree with the fact that it's uh, a, a completely out of character 
before Stamets. I mean, we all know Stamets, like in the beginning, uh, going up to, I guess, just after Hugh came, came back from the Mycelium Network, he was, he was kind of an asshole. And I think that is very much part of his character and that his relationship with Hugh tempers him and makes him less of an asshole. And that his relationship with Adira tempers him and makes him less of an asshole. So in the event that we neither have Hugh nor Adira in play, then he just reverts to being a self-important asshole. You have Stamets, who is the only one who can run the spore drive. It doesn't work without him. So he has that self-importance. This is something that only I can do. And that makes me a very important person on the ship. So we should listen to me because I have this status. I think he carries that with him. And that's what gave him the audacity to march all up in Admiral Vance's face and say, y'all need to do this. But now that we have Booker, who can also operate the spore drive, I think next season that may knock him down a few pegs. You're not as important as you think you are. Maybe throw some of that audacity away. Mm. Yeah, it just it, it irked me so much though, because when we get yeah. to the moment, uh, the culmination of three years of Michael Burnham saving the universe, right? Stopping the Federation from committing genocide against the Klingons, uh, going to the future, being right, by the way, about firing first on the Klingons. Yeah. You know, we have the three years of her on this yep. journey, and we finally get to the moment where she is made Captain Michael Burnham. And there is Stamets just still giving her the look as if he's disappointed that she was made captain. And it just left a bad taste in my mouth because it's just like, here, this woman has done so much. You know her. You know she wouldn't leave Hugh and Adira to die maliciously. You understand that she has to do what she can to save everyone. That's who Michael Burnham is. Yeah. And you treat her like trash. Like she did fail up just to harken back to our, our earlier conversation. And it, wow. I, I'm starting to get upset again. <laughs> I'm getting, and you know, I, I said this on Twitter, but I don't understand like why this has to be the conflict like why is this worthy of moving into the fourth season essentially because if we're ending the third like this this must be something that they plan to carry on into the next season and so what is the payoff of this oh, yeah, conflict? I'm, gonna need, I'm gonna need follow up i'm gonna need some yeah i'm gonna need some well, huge I'm gonna sort that out because i can't have them angry at each other for this whole time i don't <laughs> i don't want i don't want to be angry at stamets I want no. him to swallow his pride, realize that Michael did what he had to do, and let it go. But I know that's not going to happen. And if it does happen, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. I Which, don't need those looks that he was giving. Like, <laughs> that, that exactly. Was, that's what it was. You know, because, you know, your, your face tells a lot. I know I express everything on my face. It, it was it was like a, a dagger to her. Like, really? You know, you're supposed to be my my you know my people and uh you just stabbed me really mm -hmm. hard you know and you could see it hurt her but um 
as you were mentioning, Tia, we, we've got a new captain. We do. My girl. Which, My um, girl did it. For Tilly, for Tilly in that moment Ooh, when they get the good. shit back, which the fight scene between Michael uh, Osiris. 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 Yeah. That was good. Man, and she pushed yeah. her into, into the data. Uh, this, one, this one, this one, I I'm think Grace like, said it. It needed, it needed Michelle Yeoh. I think Grace <laughs> mentioned this on Twitter. This one needed a Michelle Yeoh because it was, it was choppy. Like, it was like, hiya. Oh, crap. It was still good, though, because we see uh, Michael facing off against this season's big baddie, right? Which was needed for for her character I think especially in this season finale knowing what we know now and you know her being promoted to to captain rightly so it was it was kind of one of those things where it's like she actually can on her own take on any problematic person if she needs to do something by herself she's gonna do it and she prevailed like we knew she would because you see the the little data portion she gets pushed into. She's just it just kind of goes still and Osiris walking away and then the next thing you see her phasers coming out is pointing out and she's boo boo and bye Osiris. <laughs> bye My girl. Pop what was that sound effect again? Ladder, okay? <laughs> I, need, I need that sound effect. She drowned That's in it. Sound effect. Boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> but she comes out of it spitting out little chunks of the, the 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 stuff and then she makes it to the bridge and the bridge crew is there too and they're trying to figure out okay Osiris done the ship is in her ship though so how do we get out of it and <laughs> when she says we're gonna because Tilly's like I need you to lead you you have to lead us which kudos to Tilly for realizing I'm in over my head. I don't have a plan for any of this at this point. I'm I'm not experienced enough. I'm I don't have I don't have the ability. So Michael, please lead us. And when she said eject the warp core, everybody was like, What? Girl, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse like, you? How are we gonna get out of here with no warp core? <laughs> yes, and how genius was it for them to say we're gonna have book do it? Big, big arc for him from when we see him, you hit my ship to yes, I'm the only one that can do it. I'm gonna do it. Let me get down there. Big, big arc for him. I absolutely loved it. It was a phenomenal way to showcase just how important he is to not just Michael, but to the crew. Mm-hmm. He handled his business, and now he has a legitimate role on the ship. Not that he was there yes. illegitimately or anything, but now he has, like, an actual role. Like and He was looking nice and snazzy and healthy. Yeah. Right? I, don't I think he's ready to get his It was like a civilian dress tunic. As, I, don't, I don't know about that. But one thing I want to say before we move on... Before we move on, in, in regards to Osira, and we had mentioned this earlier, that Osira is desperate, flailing, becoming unhinged, and that just escalates throughout the episode. We have the slap, and then girlfriend is gangster. Girlfriend 
chokes out Aurelio. And says, I hope uh, you yes. remember that. When uh, you oh, yeah. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Look at him in the eye. That's some, that's some Darth Vader kind of stuff. It's hard stuff. And then after that, then the next escalation is forcing Michael backwards into the programmable matter. I don't know how strong Orion's are, but goddamn. <laughs> there is a reason why Osira is the head of the chain. This is a strong woman, okay? And I, well, I will give goes, her props for that. It goes back to Travis's parallels because mm-hmm. we see how that situation has been these last few days with that individual, and then we see how Osira was these last few, you know, those last few moments of I'm on discovery trying desperately just desperately to have the ship have control of everything and just solidify her position as head of emerald chain with the hopes of merging with starfleet and being head of emerald chain starfleet i mean technically didn't they storm the capital Starfleet <laughs> headquarters <laughs> they Oh, the parallel. The parallel. I mean, how oh. strange is it that this episode happened when it did? <laughs> yes. The universe, I, I don't think they could have, pl- well, obviously they didn't plan it, but the the parallels between it is certainly uncanny and a bit, you know, I, I'm giving it the side eye right now, like, this really is going down like this, but uh yeah i you know absolutely loved it and i tweeted this out that this episode because seeing with michael putting on the uniform stepping onto the bridge and having the crew right there on both sides i'm a i'm look i'm 38 30 gonna be 39 in march and I tweeted this out that I'm going to be going to film school, right? In my personal life, 2020 didn't really affect me because I've had a lot of struggles these last several years, about six, seven years, all of this and that. And when I thought back to where Michael started in season one and where she is now, it just hit home for me that like her, I've been through so much, but here I am getting ready to start film school and she's getting ready to start her journey as captain of this ship and her, her being on screen, going through all that, getting her due after all of that hard work, the ups and downs, the tragedy of her childhood, it just hit home for me on so many levels and to see that on screen just gives me so much hope to know that I have it within me which I already knew you know it's like I've made it this far so I'm only going to continue to go upwards but to see it on screen in someone that reflects who you are it's phenomenal, it's heartwarming, and it just reinforces self-confidence, perseverance, determination, and I cannot believe that I saw history being made on my TV screen 
uh, Thursday night, and I, I absolutely loved it. I, I can't I can't state enough, you guys. I, I really can't state enough how much it it hit home for me and how I was just nearly in tears. It is your time. there we go it was it was just phenomenal and i can only imagine what it did for little black and brown girls everywhere who watched it and it's 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 beautiful it really is absolutely phenomenal work i agree with you dre because honestly you know lately like within the past few years I've been seeing more in representation of black women on television that I can relate to but there was always that little geeky nerdy piece that I felt was missing and I really like to me I felt like this was Michael Burnham is the first time that I felt truly connected and truly represented by a character on television because I I just think that she perfectly encompasses what a black woman is. Sometimes we have to be Captain Save a Ho, where we have to do everything for everybody because nobody else is going to do it. And then sometimes we have to be emotional, or sometimes we feel overly emotional, or sometimes we have to completely lack emotion and do the most logical thing. And so I just really, seeing her in this journey over these past three seasons, um, like I said on Twitter, I just felt like, wow, I, I see myself. I feel completely validated. And like when Vance said that, when he spoke, when Admiral Vance spoke about his daughter and he said that, you know, she drew pictures instead of doing the numbers. And he said, you know, she didn't do things the right way. She did it her way and it still worked. And so I just feel like when he gave that speech, I felt like it was a love letter to Black women and in particular to all marginalized people because there's more than one right way to do something. And sometimes if someone has prejudice or blind spots, they may not understand where a person of color or a Black woman or a marginalized person is coming from. So I just... The the episode was right on time. The ending hit me right in the field. I mean, I was, I mean, you almost cried, but I was sobbing. Like, I really was um, just, I mean, seeing, like, like, Burnham lost both of her parents. She was, you know, about, she was put in jail, you know, ostracized. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now, and coming from all of that history to now she is the captain, it's like, we all sat in that captain's chair with her because we've all been in that experience where we've we've struggled or we've come from nothing or we've lost so much. And it's like, you know, as a person who's not in the industry, like we got that promotion or we finally got that acknowledgement from our peers. It just, it really hit home for me. Very cathartic episode. Um, and the acting is another part that we should discuss. Sonequa. She was Ooh. killing it. Yes, she was I killing mean. it. You could see the difference and feel the difference of Michael in that moment when they've rescued everyone and she goes to see Admiral Vance and comes across Lieutenant Sile. 
Yes. You know, which is a throwback to the first episode of the season. I was really hoping they would find him again. I was hoping that he wouldn't just be left as like, whatever happened to that dude? I'm so glad he made it to Starfleet headquarters. I hope he joins the ship. But you see in that scene and in that scene where she's she's coming onto the bridge as the captain. And it's palpable how much joy and pride Michael is feeling. And th- that scene requires the actor to be able to, to illustrate that. And it worked so well. Like, Sonequa is make she looked beautiful. You know, she's just so happy. And when she sits in that chair, you can feel Michael's confidence that she is ready, that yeah. she's going to go and do everything that is required to make this new federation better and i just i i appreciated that scene so much you know i mentioned when we were talking to wilson that i was in my room at 7 45 7 30 in the morning yelling because i was just so happy and i this is the first time other than when michael gets her commission back at the end of the first season that i just felt overwhelmed with happiness that finally she is getting something she deserves um it was also one of those things where michael also had the doubt because she had that moment she was like well i have to think about it and admiral vance is like you don't have time to think about it we have things we have to do we have new planets that we have to go see we have 15 planets that need our help they might join the Federation for the first time, or they might rejoin the Federation, which we saw Trill rejoin the Federation. Yay, Trill. And, and the, bar. the bar is considering it. Yay. So he was like, I need an answer right now. And again, kudos with the writing for Michael's character, because we all have doubts, especially as Black women. It's our experience. We always ask ourselves, it's not just, am I qualified? Am I capable? It's also, will I get the respect that I've earned? Will I get my, you know, my peers to respect me, the people who are going to be under me? Are they going to mind my authority or are they going to try and be backstabby? So I also appreciate that little, that little bit of a hesitation because again, it reflects the black woman's experience. But it's also a parallel to earlier in the season when they get to the future, you know, Pike stayed behind and they had a discussion of who was going to lead the crew. Right. And Michael didn't take the step forward to, to take the mantle up. And I'm glad they gave her that moment to do so. You know, this, this episode was about the parallels, which is why we had the same, uh, the same title as the, the season opener. Uh, that Hope is You, part two. So we get to harken back to the past and see how Michael has sort of fallen into this this future, this new time, and has been changed by what she's experienced over these last 13 episodes. Yes, I, I to- totally agree with that. It, uh, it's come full circle for her. It's come full circle for her, and I cannot wait to see what they do with not just her, but the whole crew really uh, coming up in, in season four. And I love her little signature uh, 
that she crazy. says, let's fly. You know, I work in aviation. So for me, I was like, oh, let's fly. But, Yay. But I, I, love, I love that moment because you see she sits down, right? She's like, and her mm. mouth is open. Like she's, it's there and she knows it's there. And she's debating a tiny bit whether or not this is it. And she's like, you know what? I'm going with it. Let's fly. It's natural to her. Like, <laughs> it is. And that's like, that's also, you know, with the problem with Saru, Saru couldn't come up with the, with the correct catchphrase. And, and that served as- was awkward in hell. It was. <laughs> it was. And it was, it was how the writers were showing us that, you know what, maybe Saru's not ready yet because he doesn't have the phrase, which is a sort of arbitrary detail to, to associate with being ready for Captain C. Like, <laughs> Like, do you have the phrase down there? Like you don't yeah. have you don't yeah, have engaged, not even one. engaged, dude. Doesn't like work. Come on. <laughs> you ain't got it. Next. Right. All right. So I think we covered a good chunk of the episode, but I do want to close by reading one of the the quotes that Michael is is using at the end of the episode. It's I assume her log, her captain's log. I can't wait to hear Captain's Captain's, captain's log. log starting. You know, I I'm so excited. But it it, com- it is what I would say the description of what we were supposed to take away from this season. She says, disconnection. That is how this future began. One moment in time that radiated outward until no one even remembered that connection was possible anymore. But it is. The need to connect is at our core as sentient beings. It takes time, effort, and understanding. Sometimes it feels impossible, but if we work at it, miracles can happen. And then, That's my girl. Period. Yeah. And then there was what they put at the very end the of the episode, that Roddenberry oh. quote. And I have it here. In a very real sense, we are all aliens on a strange planet. We spend most of our lives reaching out and trying to communicate. If during our whole lifetime we could reach out and really communicate with just two people, we are indeed very fortunate, Gene Roddenberry. Two very, very, very powerful ways to just communicate a lot of what we've been seeing lately, in my opinion. Uh, There has been a lot of disconnect lately. There has been a lot of struggle with communication and that's why I tweeted out that this not only gave me episode, you know, gave me hope for myself, yes, but also gives me hope for the country, gives me hope for the the world. And you know, that's that's exactly what makes Star Trek Star Trek, and why we all love it so much. That's it. That concludes our review of the Star Trek Discovery season three finale. That hope is you part two. We'd also like to thank Wilson Cruz for joining us last episode. It it was an amazing interview and we feel extremely honored and privileged that he spent time with us during that episode. Yeah, two shout outs this week. First to Michelle Paradise. She is the showrunner for Discovery, but she also wrote the season three finale episode which was absolutely phenomenal and hit so many of us in our feels. 
And shout out also to Maxwell Mercy. He gave the podcast a huge shout out. Uh, you know what we forgot to talk about? The uniform and that bad uh, edit on Tilly's uniform. <laughs> Yo, it's got Twitter on fire. <laughs> no, but the blue in her uniform is CGI. It's blue because yeah. it, it was when it was filmed, it's command red. But in the shot in the show, it's blue, but not very good. Like, you can literally see the red outline. It's, it's not good. <laughs> no, it's terrible. Not good. <laughs> and I would like to give a shout out to uh, Jaron Ellers. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, at GShadow1 on Twitter, who helped me uh, figure out exactly who Lieutenant Ina was. We are not entirely sure on what her position is, but uh, myself and a lot of other people were confused as to this new person on the bridge. So thank you for helping me put uh, a name to a face. Hopefully we learn more about Lieutenant Ina next season. Thank you for joining us, everyone. See you next week. Bye. Bye.